Welcome to Living Word Bible Church, a lovely place for families where we have a passion to sing great songs to Jesus and where sound Bible teaching is central in home groups and in preaching at Sunday services. Living Word Bible Church, teaching the Bible. Well, good morning. Welcome to Living Word Bible Church. My name is Katie Hessler. And a special welcome to those joining us via live stream. I know some are tuning in live now from the States where it is Saturday evening. And today we're going to be talking about how well do you know the Bible. So I have a fun little quiz planned for us. So here's how it's going to work, okay? There's, I think there's about 18 different quotes that I'm going to throw up on the screen. And what I want you to do is if you think that the quote is from the Bible, I want you to raise your hand as high as you can. If you don't think it's from the Bible, keep your hand down. And keep in mind, it could be from different versions of the Bible. It could be from the Message, it could be from the King James Version, it could be from the NIV, all different versions. Or it could just not be from the Bible. All right, you guys ready? Yeah. You have your arms ready? Yeah. I, I need to see them high. All right, let's go. First one. Bible or not? Raise your hand if you think it's the Bible. Yes, Philippians 2.12, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. All right, next. Bible or not? Next. No, that's from Les Mis, which is good book, great musical, but no, not from the Bible. All right, next. Bible or not? Think that's from the Bible? Next. Yes, good, nice, Nikki. Shakespeare, that's from Hamlet. All right, next. Bible or not? Next. That, next, is the Bible. That's in Ecclesiastes. Good job, Charlie. I, I did this ahead of time with Charlie, and he actually did get that one right the first time. So that is Ecclesiastes 10.19. Next. Bible or not? <laughs> next. Gandhi actually originally said that. I'm sure the Beatles have that in one of their songs. Next. Bible or not? No? Next. That is the Bible. That's Ecclesiastes 3.12. Next. Bible or not? Anyone think Bible? Half and half? Okay, next. That is not the Bible. That's from the Book of Mormon. Second Nephi 9.23. Next. Bible or not? Okay, next. Nope, Martin Luther King Jr. said that. All right, next. What about this? Bible or not? You think, my kids think everything's from the Bible. All right, some people think Bible. Next. That is also from the Book of Mormon. Next. What about this? Bible. Okay, next. Yes, Ephesians 2.10. Next. What about this? It's a bit of a longer one. Bible or not? Yes? No? Yes? Next. Yep, Ecclesiastes, that's from the message version. Next. What about this? Bible or not? Okay, next. That is not from our Bible. That is John 1.1 from the Jehovah's Witness Bible. And if you look, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. 
But do you see that little distinction? All right, next. What about this? <laughs> Bible or not? No? My kids, once again, think it's from the Bible. Next. No. Nice, Nikki. Good job. You're on to me. Next. What about this? Looks right, but it's not. Okay, next. That is from our Bible. First John 2, 3. <laughs> next. Bible or not? Yep. Next. Yes. First John 2, 6. Next. What about this? Bible or not? Anyone think Bible? Okay, some people think Bible, some people think not. Next. Princess Leia actually said that in Star Wars A New Hope. But doesn't that sound like something that could be in a message version, especially when we were looking at those verses in Ecclesiastes? All right, next. This was about the point where when I was running through this with Charlie, he was like, all right, I'm done, once he saw that it was Princess Leia. All right, next. Bible or not? No, nobody thinks Bible? Okay, next. That is Psalm 126. Next. What about this? Okay, so raise your hand high if you think it's yes, down if it's no. Okay, so like half and half. Okay, next. That is from a hymn. God moves in a mysterious way. Next. What about this, Bible or not? <laughs> Next. Yes, 2 Thessalonians 3.10. All right. So now we have a bonus, too. Raise your hand if you think we have the original copies of the New Testament manuscripts. The ori if we have original copies of the New Testament manuscripts. Do you think we have those? The originals. <laughs> Do we have the original New Testament manuscripts? Raise your hand if you think yes. Okay. All right. We do not. We do not have any of the original New Testament manuscripts. All right. So that was a fun exercise that was designed to demonstrate that we don't necessarily know the Bible as well as we think we do. And based on the Mormon scriptures that we saw, it's easy to see that a half-truth is more dangerous than an outright lie because it can go undetected and do more damage. To put it another way, the best lies often have an element of truth. So let's get right into why we can know that the Bible is reliable and true. All right, how many of you have ever heard of Bart Ehrman? Anyone? Okay, Matt. So in Christian evangelical circles in the States, Bart is infamous. So this is from his website. This is part of his CV. Dr. Bart D. Ehrman has written or edited 33 books including six New York Times bestsellers, some of which include How Jesus Became God, Misquoting Jesus, and God's Problem. Bart is currently the James A. Gray Distinguished Professor of Religious Studies at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, where he has taught thousands of students and won numerous awards. He went to the Moody Bible Institute, which is actually my alma mater, 
and then ultimately graduated his undergrad from Wheaton, which is known as the Harvard of Christian schools in the US, before going on to earn his master's in divinity and PhD from Princeton Theological Seminary. So this guy has a very impressive resume. He's the most popular biblical scholar in the US today, especially if you're going just by the number of copies of books sold. And he's also an atheist. Now, Brett would probably say he's an agnostic, but I would say it's semantics and what he believes and teaches lines up much more with atheism than it does with agnosticism. Do you know what started his downward spiral? It was when he learned at Moody in one of his intro classes, one of the very same classes that I had to take my freshman year, that we do not have the original manuscripts of the New Testament. We don't even have copies of the original manuscripts. We don't have, even have copies of the copies of the copies. We have copies of copies of copies of copies. The point is we have those copies, but not the original ones. And this is a huge sticking point for tons of skeptics and atheists. So what I want you to do, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John 7, 8. All right, so I have the NIV, um, but it, it probably shouldn't matter which version you have. But if you look at John 7, 8, this is Jesus talking, and it's when he's going to the Feast of the Tabernacles. And he says, you go to the feast. I am not yet going up to this feast because for me, the right time has not yet come. And if you look in your footnotes, you see for verse eight, some early manuscripts do not have the word yet. So yet appears twice in that verse, okay? This, because this was not in the early manuscripts and therefore most likely was not in the original manuscript, we can determine that this is an artifact. Okay, what's an artifact? Per National Geographic, an artifact is an object made by a human being. Artifacts can include art, tools, and clothing made by people of any time and any place. And artifacts are immensely useful to scholars who want to learn about a culture. So this addition to the text that we have in our modern day Bibles is an artifact. It was added by a human, and it's useful for learning more about the culture at the time. So one thing we can do with biblical artifacts is we can see what happens if we include it, which is what the publishers of at least my Bible decided to do. We can see what happens if we exclude it. So let's read this verse again. Let's take out the yet, okay? Jesus says, you go to the feast. I am not going up to this feast because for me, the time has not come. Does that change anything? Does that change the context of the verse if you take out yet? No, not at all. Absolutely not. But do you see the argument? This is rhetorically powerful, especially among young people who've never examined this issue before. If our kids are hearing about this for the first time from a secular perspective, like when they get to uni, it can do some serious damage and it can really shake their faith. So there are more variations in the manuscripts, in the New Testament manuscripts, then there are words in the New Testament. Let that sink in for a minute, okay? There are more variations in the manuscripts than there are words in the New Testament. But guess what? It does not matter. Let's briefly talk about why. 
Okay, how many of you are familiar with the passage about the woman who committed adultery? Okay, that's a pretty well-known passage. Um, many sermons have been preached on it. It's been featured in movies. But guess what? This passage is actually a variant. It's missing from the earliest copies of John. It's a late edition, and it appears in a 5th century document at the earliest. So good old Bart Ehrman, he calls this out, and he says that it's problematic. But by including this story as a reliable part of the biblical narrative that we have, it does not change any of the central claims of the Bible. And that's how most of these textual editions are. In fact, if you go through your New Testament, on every page you'll see footnotes at the bottom that talk about the different variations in the manuscripts. You could, you could do that all day. But the changes are so insignificant that there is little to no impact on the claims of Christianity. So J. Warner Wallace, I absolutely love this guy, he intricately details and likens examining the Bible to examining a crime scene in his book, Cold Case Christianity. I highly recommend this book. You can get it on Amazon. You can probably get it. Uh, what's the name of that Christian bookstore? Yes. I'm sure they have it there. Uh, highly, highly, highly recommend. Um, I am a true crime aficionado, and so I really love his perspective. Wallace is a former cold case homicide detective who was also an atheist until he was 35 years old, and he now uses his investigative skills to make the case for Christianity. So Wallace states that every crime scene has artifacts and evidence, and I don't have time to get into the details that he goes into about crime scenes, but he details this in chapter six in his book, and again, cannot recommend it enough. So. As Christians, we have a responsibility to remove the artifacts and examine the evidence that we have. So we've already determined that the Bible has artifacts, these variations in the text. Well, why do we have these variations? So sometimes a scribe unintentionally made changes, like simple grammatical or spelling errors. Let me give you an example. I'm reading this uh, it's a national best-selling book right now, and yesterday I was reading it, and the author was describing how something was coursing through the character's veins, except they used course spelled with an A, C-O-A-R-S-E, okay? Well, the problem is, and English is a tricky language, C-O-A-R-S-E is always an adjective, while C-O-U-R-S-E is always a noun or a verb. Now, in the book, the author used it as a verb, so it was incorrect. And I'm an editor, so I absolutely love finding typos, especially in best-selling books. It gets me really excited. So let's say I were to email the publisher, which I'm not going to do, but let's say I were to email and say, hey, you know, on this page, there was this typo. And let's say that they were to publish a new edition with a footnote that says, in the first edition, it said, course with an A. Does that change anything in my concept of the text? Nope. As we saw in John 7, 8, it does not change anything. Or consider autocorrect on our phones. Everyone knows that autocorrect is out to get us and to make us sound as dumb as possible. <laughs> my best friend and I text multiple times every single day, often rapid fire texts, American style, because I'm sorry, but you Brits 
and Aussies, you have a very different style of texting, <laughs> by the way. But my friend and I, we usually don't proofread them before we hit send, and this can lead to some really funny typos sometimes. So if it's extra egregious, we'll correct it, but often we don't because I know what she was trying to say and vice versa. So, okay, so sometimes unintentional changes were made. The scribes were human, after all, but it does not affect the core of the gospel. And sometimes scribes intentionally added detail that was known to the scribe, but not clearly described by the apostolic author. Sometimes scribes intentionally altered things in an attempt to clarify a passage based on what the scribe thought, but the scribes weren't always correct in their interpretations. So J. Warner Wallace says that every case, every case has unanswered questions, and Christianity is no exception. That's why in a courtroom, at least in the U.S., I'm not too familiar with um, Australian law, but someone must be convicted beyond a reasonable doubt. So honestly, anything is possible. I could be an evil alien that has kidnapped you, and I have you under mind control right now. You might wake up tomorrow and be on my spaceship. That's possible, right? It's possible. Anything is possible. But is it reasonable? No. No, because first of all, I wouldn't tell you my diabolical plan. But we need to view the biblical text not by what's possible, but by what's reasonable. We have thousands of copies of scriptures that we can compare to each other. Like I was talking about, we have the copies of the copies of the copies. We can compare all those copies to each other. And we also have the writings of early church scholars like Papias, Ignatius, Polycarp, and Clement. In one of Bart Ehrman's books, he has a list of all the verses he says should not be in the New Testament because of these variations. And like Jay Warner Wallace says, this sounds really scary when you hear it for the first time, but it's not. It is powerful for young people who've never looked at this issue, but if you've already studied it, if you're already aware of it, it's meaningless. Textual criticism lets us determine the nature of the original text and eliminate any unnecessary artifacts. And we should have more confidence in the text because of this, not less, more confidence. So if we took half of the New Testament away, let's say we took every other verse. You can't pick and choose. We just took every other verse away. Guess what? We would still have the central gospel truth. And even Bart Ehrman would never say that our text is 50% corrupted. It's not. The original text was inerrant. But we have to admit that there were changes made to the text. But these changes do not affect the reliability of the scripture. I know we've just scratched the surface on this topic, but I want to encourage you to study and explore this more on your own. The onus is on you. This brief discussion is just intended to whet your appetite and rev you up because it's exciting that we have solid, reasonable answers. Our brains are muscles, and we need to strengthen and grow them. We can't have a fixed mindset where we think, okay, I'm getting all I need to, to know by just going to church every week, doing a Bible study, doing devotions on my own. We need to be studying outside of that as well so we can give an answer for our faith. Believe me, I get that time is an issue, 
but we live in the age of information and there are so many great resources out there. If you don't like to read or you don't have the time, listen to an apologetics podcast on your commute or while you're out on a walk. If you're already on social media, there's so many different apologetics ministries you can follow to see their content while you're scrolling. Like Jay Warner Wallace famously says, we don't need another million dollar apologist, we need a million one dollar apologist. And I've said it once, but I'll say it again, an unexamined faith is not worth living. Thank you. Living Word Bible Church, teaching the Bible verse by verse.